0: As we get going, um, if you have your Bibles with you, if you could open up to, to Matthew 6.19, that's where we're going to be starting this morning. But, but as you are getting there, I would love to do a quick poll, so I, I'd love to see your guys' hands for this. So who would say that they are impulsive? That means that you make decisions quickly, you don't really think about it, you kind of just go for it. You just go for it. Who would say that they fall under that category? We'll be doing a lot, of, a lot of polls this morning. For the next one, who thinks that they are the other side of the coin for this? They like to mull things over. They like to, to think things over a little bit. They don't exactly just go for it right away. All right, yeah, thank you. Um, and so I know that personally, I lean a lot more towards the impulsive side. And I have found that this gets amplified. I mean, it's even... You could say it's even worse when I'm around certain groups of friends, and especially since I've gotten to college. And so I would love if this morning we could play a game together uh, throughout the service. And what's going to happen is I'm going to share with you guys some, some stories of impulsive decisions that I've made while I was in college, and I would love to see everybody's hands to guess whether this decision has a good outcome or whether it has a less than good outcome. And so, here, we'll, we'll set the scene here first. So my friends and I uh, were in college, and we had just made this really spontaneous trip to the beach. Like, we were at lunch on Friday, and I saw pictures of, like, a beach, and my friends, or I, I say, man, the beach, beach sounds pretty cool right now. And my friend looks at me in the eyes, and he goes, you want to go to the beach, like, right now? And so we did. And so we drove the six hours to Savannah, Georgia, spent the night there. We're coming back the next day, and I'm just really, really riding this rush of spontaneity. And I guess I decide that I want to test my luck. And so I decide that I want to dye my hair platinum. That, that's the decision that I made. So... We do just that. We go to Walmart, and the next morning, in the dorms, we dye my hair, or we, we, we put the product in and attempt to dye my hair platinum. So if, by a raising of hands, who thinks that this decision has a good outcome? I appreciate it. I appreciate it. It means, uh, and then it's really okay, but raise your hand if you think it has a less than good outcome. Oh, man. All right. Well, we actually have photo evidence to to show, and I can't believe that, that I'm showing this, but that, what, what I call that is just like a copperish, greenish mixture of, of poor decisions. I don't, I don't know. <laughs> but, but regardless, uh, I tell that story and, and a couple more stories to come with you guys for a reason. And, and it's this reason right here. It's because the decisions that we make, they have outcomes the decisions we make have outcomes and and i think that uh, one of the most important decisions that we can make in this life maybe one of the most difficult ones is where am i going to place my heart what am i going to be going to be giving myself to and so as we look towards our text today we can see that jesus throughout matthew 6 19 through 24 he kind of outlines Three different decisions uh, that that all point towards the answer to this question. And so, with that being said, would you guys please stand with me uh, for the reading of God's Word? Matthew six, starting in verse 19. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourself treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness. No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one, and you will love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Thank you. You may be seated. And so I don't know if you could see it uh, throughout those, those uh, five verses, six verses that we read, but there were those, those three decisions that Jesus outlines. First, Jesus shows us that we have a decision between treasures on earth or treasures in heaven. And we have a decision of whether our bodies are going to be full of light or full of darkness. And we have the decision of whether we're going to serve God or if we're going to serve anybody else or anything else. And so we're going to start today by looking at that first choice that Jesus lays out. And I feel like he, he says it and it's pretty straightforward. And he tells his disciples and he tells us today that we must place God's treasures over worldly pleasures. We must place God's treasures over worldly pleasures. And, and Jesus goes about this, he addresses this uh, by, by telling his disciples, telling his listeners that, that these treasures on earth, these earth, earthly pleasures, they can be destroyed by moth and vermin, they can be uh, broken into their homes and stolen, they don't last. And Jesus was speaking in these terms because it would have been terms that were relatable to the people that he was speaking to. See, a way that, that people would find financial security, find security in general, is through their finances. And so what they would do is they would, they would hide valuables under the dirt floor of their house. But then they would find that vermins would, would gnaw through the mud brick of their house and could get in and destroy those treasures. And likewise, uh, a mark of an upperclassman Jew was the fine clothing that they would be wearing. But you see, they didn't have fine cedar wardrobes to to hide these things in, and so they were still susceptible to moths uh, and other creatures tearing those apart as well. Bottom line, uh, the materials that we have here on earth, they, they can't be taken with us to heaven. They can't be taken with us after this life. So why would we hold on to those things? Why would those be the things that we we place our heart into and and we place our treasure in and and we find security in if they're so susceptible to loss and being destroyed? But it does raise the question of of what exactly are these godly treasures that Jesus is talking about that, that can't be destroyed and can't be stolen? And if we were to actually look back throughout the Sermon on the Mount, we could see that Jesus had been setting the scene for this for a while, and you might even recognize these from from past sermons. I believe we have a slide to show this, but uh, Jesus says that great is your reward in heaven when you suffer persecution for Jesus' sake. Jesus says that we might be called children of our Father in heaven when we love, when we pray for our enemies. And he says that our Heavenly Father will reward us when we practice generosity and prayer and fasting for an audience of one, going back to Joel's sermon last week. And so we know that the the actions, the decisions we make have outcomes. And the outcomes for these actions are eternal. Those are God's treasures. And so... Jesus goes on and he finishes this subsection in verse 21 by reminding his listeners that these actions that he talks about are not to, to earn salvation. And I think that's something important that we need to keep in mind as we, as we work through decisions that we must make. Uh, it's important to remember that this is not uh, a works-based gospel. These, are, these things are not done to earn anything. But rather, in verse 21, Jesus says, what we treasure shows what's in our heart. And so, in other words, the, the decisions we make reflect where our heart is truly at. And so therefore, if we're, if we're treasuring and placing our hearts in anything other than, than God's treasures and, and Him alone, then our hearts must not be fully, truly belonging to God. And so, Therefore, we need, to, we need to dive into and practice these things that, that Jesus has outlined. We need to, instead of uh, just being kind of kind to the person that, that we don't get along with and avoiding them so that there just isn't any direct conflict, we, we must seek reconciliation and extend grace and forgiveness actively, even when we might not feel like uh, the other person deserves it. That's what loving our enemies means. And we can practice sincere, humble generosity as well. And generosity is such a, such a, such a big thing. And I think that if we were to put, in our posi- or put ourselves in positions where uh, God can grow up generosity within us, that, that he would teach us and show us how to be generous. I mean, what would it look like if we took a $1 bill and we put it in our pocket or in our phone case and we carried it around everywhere that we went. And everywhere we went, we, we prayed and we were intentional about saying, God, show me how to be generous with, with just this one dollar. And I, I, I believe that God will, will show us opportunities to, to be generous with just that one dollar. And it might not be much, but, but God can teach us and grow within us a, a heart for generosity. And so I challenge us to, to practice things like that this week, if you want to carry around a one or a five dollar bill, and just ask, God, help me bless someone with this, with this bill that I'm carrying around. Whatever we do, our decisions must be made in the posture of placing God's treasure over world pleasures. And so, before we get to our second point, I reckon it's about that time again We'll take another look at a decision that I've made while I've been in college. And so we'll, we'll start setting the scene by playing a little, a little clip of a video first. So if we wanna look at this We're little intro crazy. video. No. So this right here is the, the point of no return. The feet are leaving the ground, the head's thrown back. I am trying a backflip for the first time. And so, my my friends and I were serving at the church camp that we grew up at. Uh, we're being leaders there, and we're on top of the mountain we go to every week of church camp. And I decide, you know what? I want to do a backflip right now. I mean, I've been doing them into the lake all week. I'm feeling pretty good. the 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 surface up here is like slanted just perfectly. It's just asking for it. But this is gonna happen. I try a backflip for the first time on this day. So who thinks that this decision has a good outcome? Could you raise your hands for me? Okay. And then who thinks that it might not have as great of an outcome? It's very, it's totally fair. And so if we could go ahead and play the video, we'll, we'll see. they are getting ready. Is he gonna do backflip? No. Yes. Oh! Let's go. Yeah. <laughs> So, so somehow, surprisingly, it, it had a, a fairly good outcome, and I promise this is not to show that I could do, or, or show off that I could do a backflip two years ago. Uh, we'll say that this is not the end of the backflip saga this morning, and no, I'm not going to do a backflip. So, if we look back towards our text, we look at verses 22 and 23. Uh, we know that Jesus has already made it clear place my treasures over worldly pleasures. And then for the second decision, we'll see a metaphor that we find all throughout Scripture, this metaphor of light versus darkness, of good versus evil. And the choice that we have in this section is this. Is our whole body going to be full of light? Or is our whole body going to be full of darkness? And as you may have noticed, if we look at verses 22 and 23, we can see that, uh, whether our whole body is going to be full of light or darkness is determined by the health of our eyes. And it's much like a window in a dark room. If you were to, to draw the curtains and block off a window, the room will be full of darkness. But if you were to open the, the, the window, then you are going to see light flood into the room and the room will be full of light. And so our eyes, Jesus says, are like the windows, they're, they're they what they are what determine how full of light we are and so we must have healthy eyes but what does it look like to have healthy eyes what must we be focused on for our bodies to be full of light and i think we can boil it down to this and it's that our eyes must have needle-like focus on God's kingdom we must have a needle-like focus on God's kingdom and I believe that there's a story uh, within the same book of the Bible that can help us picture this and, and imagine what this would look like. And so it's Matthew 14, verse 22. But instead of flipping there, I would love if we could maybe even close our eyes, uh, if you feel comfortable doing that, whatever you need to do to, to just picture this story happen. I mean, we know that this story is true, and Matthew was there. He was writing things as he saw them. And so if we could picture this story of Jesus walking on water. And so, Jesus had just sent the crowds away, and his disciples were sent out on a boat to go across Lake Gennesaret. And Jesus is up on the hill by the lake praying. And as this is happening, a huge storm comes in, and it's tossing, and the winds are howling, and the waves are beating against the side of their boat. And you can just see the, the fear on the disciples' eyes. They're, they're terrified. Jesus isn't even with them right now. But as this is happening, Jesus has come down from the hill, and he's walking out upon the water towards his disciples. And the disciples are terrified. They're in the boat, and they're, and they're being shaken and rocked back and forth. And they look out, and they see a figure on the water. And they're terrified at first. I mean, rightly so. And then they hear a voice call out that says, do not be afraid, it is I. And then Peter, as only Peter would, calls out towards this figure who he probably knew to be Jesus. And he says, Lord, if it's really you, command me to come out on the water with you. And you can see the shock on the other disciples' faces as Peter takes that first step out of the boat. And that shock is multiplied when he's actually able to stand on the water. And he might have looked at the water with his first step, but I, I'd be, I would guess that after that first step, his eyes are fixed on Jesus. Imagine the needle-like focus that Peter has as he walks on that water, legs shaking, eyes fixed with a needle-like focus on God's kingdom right in front of him. But then, as he's walking upon the water, he notices and takes his focus off of Jesus, maybe even just a little bit, and he notices the winds and the waves around him. And right when he takes his focus off of Jesus, into the water he goes. You see, right when he took his focus off of God, he fell. And we know that Jesus, on the other hand, well, well, Jesus always had his focus on bringing God's kingdom to earth throughout his whole life. And so, what better way for our focus to be solely on Christ than to see the world as he sees it? And so, this morning, to apply this, I'd urge us all to pray a bold prayer that, that I was challenged to pray at a week of camp a few years ago, and it's this right here. It's, God, give me your eyes to see things as you see them. God, give me your eyes towards that, that person in my class that I know is going to be in my class when I get back to school that just really gets on my nerves and I just don't get along with. God, give me your eyes towards that coworker or that family member that I just don't have any common ground with and we just argue. God, give me your eyes towards this one sin that I have that I've just been trying to shake, but it's been such a big part of my life and I know I need to shake it. God, give me your eyes towards that. Help me to see my life as you see it, Lord. And you see, this, this prayer is such a bold one because it is bound to shake things up. I mean, if we pray for God to, to give us his eyes towards the people that, that we fight with, that we argue with, then we're welled up with compassion and we desire reconciliation rather than retaliation. And if we, we, we have God's eyes towards our sin, we are heartbroken by it. And we long to cling to Christ and fall at his feet. You know, if we pray this prayer and we see things as God sees them and we're obedient to what he reveals to us, then we are having a needle-like focus on God's kingdom. And so finally, it's time for us to come to the third and the final decision that Jesus lays out. But, you know, before we do that, we've got, we've, got to, we've got to recall another potentially foolish decision of mine. So I'll need you guys' help deciding on this one again. So let's go here. So I'm at a turf football field with some of my friends. Um, it's later at night. It's dark. Uh, we're just playing ultimate frisbee. Hanging out, having a good time. It's a couple months since that last video that we saw. And my team scores a point. I probably did nothing to contribute to it. But uh, I decide, perfect time. I'll, I'll whip out one of those backflips that I've been doing lately. But before we take our little, our little poll on, on how the decision turns out, we need a little bit more context. And so... You see, since that last video that we watched, um, it had probably been two months since I'd actually done a backflip. Um, and it was now the fall, which means I was playing soccer at Johnson, which means I have, you know, the heavy leg fatigue that comes with, comes with that. And then on top of that, um, I actually had a pulled muscle in my leg. Um, but yet, I still decide now is the time. I'm going to do a backflip. Uh, you you would see something like that first video, feet leave the ground, the head goes back. What do we think? Does this decision have a good outcome? Raise your hand if you think that this decision, this backflip, has a good outcome. <laughs> yep. And then if it has a poor outcome, you go ahead, raise it high. It's, it's really okay. Because if we are to look at the screen and see... Uh, you can't see it super well, but I did, in fact, get a turf burn on my face um, because I was not close. I, I landed straight on my face. Um, it hurt quite a bit. I couldn't really wash my face for a while. Um, but we know that uh, our decisions have outcomes, uh, as we can see. But <laughs> regardless, um, it, we will go and look towards that, that final that third and final decision that that Jesus lays out in the text today. And it's a decision of mastership. It's a big one. It's a decision of who we are going to serve with with our lives. I mean, it really comes down to who we are going to be placing our heart in. And so, if I could read verse 24 again, it reads like this. No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one, and you will love the other, or you will be devoted to the one, and you will despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. And that's, I mean, we look at it, and we might think it's pretty harsh language. And we might think, really? Hate? Despise? I mean, I can love God and serve God and still care a lot about finances maybe i suppose you could but but can you fully serve and fully be devoted to god and fully place your heart in serving the lord while also serving and being devoted to money or serving and being devoted to anything else no you cannot and if there's nothing else that you take away from today, please hear this and know this. This is the, the culmination of all that Jesus has been talking about. It's kind of the bottom line of this section. And it's that God requires our undivided allegiance to his treasures and to his kingdom. You see, when it comes to, to serving God, when it comes, comes to following God, divided allegiance and loyalty are not possible. Only one can come out on top. Only one thing can be our Lord. Only one can be the subject of our loyalty. Only one can be what we live our lives for. And I mean, to picture it, we can, we can think about it this way. I mean, imagine there's a student at Indiana University, and he's grown up his whole life an IU fan. It's all he's ever known. And now he's a student at Indiana University. And his team is in the Big Ten Championship. It's basketball season. It's being played at Assembly Hall. And you better bet that he had been outside the stadium camping out for three days so that he would be able to be there for that game. And, and he gets in the stadium and he walks in with this, this sea of red and he can smell the popcorn. And he can feel the anticipation, and they get into their seats, and they're cheering every time the other team misses their warm-up shots. And, man, the excitement is building. Everyone there in this sea of red is on the same page. And then this guy, he, he turns to the person beside him, this stranger, also a fellow IU student, and he turns to him, and he says, Hey, man, how much you think we're going to beat them by today? The other guy looks back at him and says, you know what? I'd be okay with it if the other team won. I mean, I, I like them too a lot. And so I think I'd it, really be okay with it if they, if they won. Uh, but I'm still an IU fan. I still love Indiana University. What would, the, what would the other guy say to him in that moment? What do you think he would say? He would say, no, you're not. (laughs) You're not an IU fan. Uh, You're clearly not. Otherwise, you would want us to win. He would say, you're either all in right here or you're not in at all. You, You can't be okay with the other team winning. And you see, that's what God asks of us when it comes to following him. You're either all in or you're not in at all. God requires our undivided allegiance and loyalty to him. And this means that Jesus is the Lord of our life. This means that in our life, Jesus is king, and he's not just savior. And don't get me wrong, Jesus is savior. No one comes to the Father except through him. That could not be more true. But Jesus did not leave his throne in heaven, come down to earth to be born in a feeding trough, live a perfect life, die a humiliating, painful sinner's death to just be savior for us. No, I mean, Jesus calls us so much deeper than that. He wants to be king of kings and lord of lords. That, that is the honor and the reverence that Jesus deserves for what he has done and for who he is. See, Jesus didn't, he didn't come to, to save us and leave us and leave it there. Jesus came to save us and live with us and live through us and live over every single part of our lives. See, giving God our undivided allegiance to his treasures and his kingdoms, it means that we bring every single last bit of who we are and we bring it to Jesus and we lay it at the foot of the cross and we say, God, please do with me as you please, Lord. And that's something that we live out every single day of our lives until we are one day united with him. May our undivided allegiance and undivided loyalty be placed solely in his treasures and in his kingdom. Would you all bow your heads and pray with me? Dear King Jesus, thank you for uh, this morning. Thank you for Family Worship Sunday where we get to all come together uh, and praise your name and lift your name high. And God, we know that we do this because you deserve our undivided allegiance and undivided loyalty. And God, you deserve to be King of Kings and Lord of Lords over our lives. And so God, I pray that that we are able to place your treasures over the, the pleasures that this world has to offer. God, I pray that our focus is so precise and it's needle-like focus on you. And that no part of our heart is placed into what others think of us or into sports or, or into sin, into anything other than you. May our hearts be fully undividedly be yours. And I pray that that we are able to to live in response to that and and respond by by serving and loving you and serving and loving those around us. God, thank you so, so much for who you are. It is in the powerful name of the King Jesus that we pray these things. Amen.